Named after the mechanism that separates the sweet wort from the spent grains, False Bottom Girls features two beer experts filtering through the brewing industry to guide listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson. I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the beer program coordinator with New Realm Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone. That's not what we're here to talk about. No, not at all. I told you not to start recording, so I didn't have to edit out a bunch of stuff. (laughs) And then then I told you to start recording, and then we started talking about other things. So welcome, everyone. You won't get to hear about what we were talking about, but it's probably not (laughs) interesting to you (laughs) anyway. Um, Thanks for tuning in. And today, we've decided we are going to be talking about cask beer. Cask um, beer. Also, real ale. I think that sometimes people get those sort of switched up. I know I do because technically any beer could be a cask beer. If you put beer in a cask, it is a cask beer. Sure. Um, and we're talking about the conditioning method. Correct. And you can have cask beer in a cask and you can have real ale in a bottle. I believe real ale is referred to it being bottled or really, I guess you could say real ale in a cask. You say real in a cask. Well, let's see. I have my um, little little guy right here. But we just got the second, um, oh no, the third edition of the Sellermanship book, How to Keep, Serve, and Sell Real Ale. The seventh? No, the third. Did I say seventh? No, it is the seventh. The, the newest seventh? one? Yeah. That's the third in my knowledge. <laughs> what do you have? <laughs> but it's this, it's this book, right? The newest yeah. one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Seventh edition. Yeah, third in my world because I guess that's how young I am. It's a small book. It's not like thick like a textbook or size like textbook, but it is meant to be a textbook yes. about cellar, cellarine, uh, making cast conditioned beer in the cellar, not about cellarine, cellarine like as in transferring beer from a ripe thing to a fermenter, right? But about and not about celery, celery, the vegetable. Not about celery either. Not, not <laughs> even close to celery. Um, but it is all about producing cask beer, what cask beer is, the history of camera, which we'll talk about, um, how to serve it, how to condition it, different serving methods, different preservation methods. Troubleshooting. Troubleshooting. It's all things that you need to know about as a brewer, about creating cask beer and as a publican uh, serving cask beer. Yeah, and it's the whole thing. I'm trying to see like when it actually stops. It's got a ton of really good information in it, but it's like maybe 150 pages. And this is actually um, when Rachel and I were going to Tempe, Arizona to take the advanced exam. I read Sellermanship on the four-hour flight, like cover to cover, read read it. Obviously, it went well for yeah, and still had time to watch like some stupid sitcom or something like halfway through when I started to fall asleep because reading makes me sleepy now because I'm old. But Seller, it, my, it really my did. Cask. I think I ended up getting like a 99 on the cask. I got, I got a 99 too. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't understand I did the where best. I missed the point. I did the best. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? You better tell me that next time when I usually take I did the best though on Caspier um, essay. I, and I love Caspier. I, I like, I'm almost said grew up with cast beer, which is not true at all. <laughs> but when I, my first brewing job at Hardywood, 
they did a lot of cast beer. Actually, one of actually what my very first big brew, um, we did cast beer of it. And um, I mean, they did, we did, I mean, Firkins and cask every Friday, skip anything. But I think one thing to start with is just what exactly real ale is because it's beer, but it's beer with like different characteristics than the beer that comes out of your standard draft. And I don't, I think that's the most question people that I get is like, what's cast beer, you know, or, or the best is when a, we could, we have the uh, cast come in different sizes and we use a small one called a pin and we'll set it on the bar to like condition when we like in the brewery, like when we have one going on, cause we're small and that's where it can fit. And um, people were like, Oh, I'll take that. Like, it's like, it's like on the back bar. It's not hooked up to anything. It's just like a barrel sitting on the ke- on the bar. I'm like, <laughs> no, we don't really, that's not how that works. That gets tapped at a certain day, a certain time. You don't just like, like, right. how, like what are these people thinking? There, there's nothing sticking out of there that says there's beer coming. Out. It's just like this thing. Anyways, it's fun. But um, so just for the sake of not listening to me the whole time, letting Jen talk, why don't she start out explaining <laughs> what cask, like the actual condition of cask beer versus regular draft beer, as America knows it. Sure. Well, I think uh, if you are studying for any level of Cicerone, one thing that they make very clear is knowing the precise definition of real ale. So if sure. you haven't heard of real ale before, it is beer, like Rachel said, that undergoes a secondary fermentation in its serving vessel and is dispensed without the use of supplementary carbon dioxide. And that's, we've talked before a little bit about the differences between, you know, regular CO2 carbonated beer and then nitrogenated beer. And the with the the serving vessel, like Rachel said, a lot of times it's going to be in a cask. And you know, uh, this might be a like a, a thought question for you because I had somebody bring it up to me when I was doing some of my Cicerone training is that real ale, you know, the beer undergoes a secondary fermentation in its serving vessel. So does bottle conditioned beer also count as real ale so well, if you have like a belgian beer yes that has that secondary fermentation occurring to carbonate it and then you're you know you're pouring it out of the bottle so you're not mm-hmm. using you're not applying additional co2 to it does something like a belgian beer so there's two ways to make cast beer one is a little bit more traditional than the other and obviously that comes with time and people's opinions and you know um, so all beer was made in cask, right? Like before, like fermentation vessels were kind of like the big barrels and that could be like confused as a cask, but this is a beer that's being like fermented in a really big vessel that you're taking some of this beer off and putting it into the secondary vessel. So the more old fashioned way, or in my opinion, the correct way is to rack the beer either from the top if you have an open fermenter or from the midport which you're going to probably do here in america like most breweries have closed fermenters we do this is what we do at pilot you uh the beer right before it is finished its primary fermentation uh, maybe normally like a gravity point two or two above primary fermentation that is the best time to be racking that beer from 
the fermenter. If you do it at the correct time, you are pulling in wort that still has fermentable sugar and yeast in suspension. So all you're doing is transferring that wort into a different vessel to finish conditioning and you allow it to just naturally carbonate. That is not the same thing as force carbine a bottle conditioned beer because what you're doing and and you can still uh, the force carb like belgian brewers the way they naturally carb a beer they're adding extra yeast and extra sugar to create that carbonation they're not using the natural yeast and the natural sugar that's already in the wort now there are techniques in breweries and i've even done this before if you are too late and getting your beer and primary fermentation has completed more than you want it to. And you still want to make that cast that really just like light sparkle kind of not fully carbonated like a bottle condition would, but just like a natural little carbonation. You can pull that kind of mostly finished beer off the, you know, off the fermenter still like the same day you or same way you would. Maybe you're just doing it a few days later. And at that point, if you did that, um, you might not have the enough yeast and natural wort sugars in there to complete that natural secondary fermentation. So you have to kind of give that, that extra boost, add a little bit more priming sugar, add um, more yeast if you feel that way, but you probably still have enough yeast particles. So you're not adding that extra yeast. You're just adding that little sugar to get that, maybe the, the little bit of yeast that is left in suspension or that you pull out with it to kind of get that going to create extra to create the finishing um, carbonation. Normally with that, you'll want to like use finings as well because you're, if, you're, if, you're, if your goal is to create a very bright beer, which is also like the opinion of that and cast beer has changed over the years as well. Uh, so depending on what you're going for, but um, that those are, there are two different ways of, of creating cast beer, but I don't, I think, although I think that second way is more of on the lines of bottling conditioning, I don't think it's doing, I don't think they are trying to achieve the same goal. If that sure. Yeah, no. And I think it does. And that was kind of when that question was posed to me, my, that was, that was basically my answer is like, yeah, I think that it, you could make that argument, but yeah, the, the mindset is different on what's being created. Although I will say typically a a brewer, if you're sending a cask out, say to a pub, to a publican, it is common practice to add priming sugar as one of the steps in the, in before sending it out. So you do get that secondary carbonate or yeah, secondary um, fermentation that's going to create the carbonation. Uh, So that is typically before a brewer will send it out, they're going to add, um, like Rachel said, findings, they're going to add the priming sugar and then they're going to add the beer. And that's, that's really just if the they need to. Like I've done it both ways and I've sent it out to bars both ways. Cause if you do it at the right time, you could also do it too early and then risk having the cask explode right. because it made too much CO2, which has happened. I have a video. If you ask me, I will show you the video. I was going to say, I think for <laughs> Maybe one, of my, one of my favorite <laughs> videos of all time is just getting the the notification on the pilot team page that <laughs> there was a video for us to watch and it, and I have watched it over and over. I still watch it sometimes because Is it, on it makes still? me laugh. 
Yes. Okay, I'll have to it's find still, it. It's I'll still post it to our episode comments or something. Yes, but this, <laughs> the, just to set the scene, it is the camera in the brewery and like actually in the brew house and Rachel is sitting at the bar typing away on her laptop and there is a firkin on the back bar like she said and all of a sudden (coughs) the uh the spile like shoots out and it's just this geyser of beer yeah (laughs) and it goes on for probably a good minute yeah just watch it I'm just like oh shit Yeah, yes. that, I remember being like, "Dude, what was the gravity they filled this pit at?" He's like, "No, it's like <laughs> it was like it was close to finish. It was like ten twelve. I was like, "Dude, this beer finishes at ten oh six. Okay, so <laughs> not not your fault. Things happen, but goddamn, it was yeah. a lot. It had a lot of hops too. So you know, your favorite moments of gushing hops out of a fermenter. Just imagine that in a small little pit, right? But yes, yes, I will find that video and I will post for your enjoyment." Yeah, it yeah, is. So. It is very good. Cascale is kind of a dying thing. And no. in most in most beers, it's, you know, no. in most beers, like people just need to pour the beer and it's not so much of a finesse and an experience anymore. I it's know. more of a volume thing. So sad. And you know, it's so funny. It's like, I love Caspier, but I don't really like to drink it that much. What? I, I love Caspier, but I don't you're, really. No, you're kicked off. You're kicked oh, off sorry. the podcast. I'll find a new host. No, you can't, you can't not like drinking cask beer. Wait, did you say I'm kicked? Oh, I thought, <laughs> I thought you meant like there was a technical issue. <laughs> no, the issue no. is you. It's a personal no, I, issue. I know. I know. Let me, let me tell you why. It's not that I don't like it. It's just like, I don't, I don't want to like, I'll have a glass, but I really don't want more than that. I just like, it's just a little bit less carbonated. And, uh, you know, I, I like my beer carbonate. I don't know. It's all right. Let's talk. Let's switch. Since we're talking about this. Let's okay. Talk before about, we fight more. Before we fight. <laughs> before we fight more. I like it. It's just I don't want to drink it all day. Like, I don't want it to be my only option. So I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I will say that that's a good point because the other thing about a lot of traditional real ales is that's going to be where you get your bitter family of English uh, English ales. So ordinary bitter, best bitter, strong bitter, those are all fairly low ABV. And kind of sure. the point of cask beer is like Rachel said, it does have lower carbonation and it also has lower ABV. Yeah. So it's designed to be a social beer. It's the kind sure. of beer that you're going to go to the pub and sit there and drink. It's not going to fill you up with carbonation. You're not going to get like wasted yeah you will i mean if you're there for several hours but that's definitely there's a lot of cultures that particularly german uh, english where they're lower abv because they're designed to be enjoyed in a group setting and americans are just a little bit more individualistic and don't you know like you want you want abv in your beer and you you're not wanting to necessarily go to a bar and hang out all day and talk to people and that's part yeah, of the, the culture around cask beer is it's it's designed to be an experience. No, I totally agree with that. And I just meant like kind of my personal flavor, mouthfeel preference. Sure. But let's go over those characteristics for people who don't know, because that's that was the 101 way for me to remember the difference of cask beer, describe it like it is a beer, but it's less carbonated than what you're used to. That comes off a draft. Right. Typically it's served like 
cool versus cold. I don't like to say the word warm because it's not warm, but it right. is a little, it's got a few degrees higher of a temperature than your, you know, your cooler that your 40, 38 degree cooler that holds your draft beer. Um, right. Anytime, anytime I'm talking about English beer, the first thing I say is that English beer is not warm and flat. Yes. Because that's, I mean, like I grew up hearing that that's something that I knew is that, oh, English yeah. beer is warm and flat. And it's like, no, it's, it's not 32 degrees and highly carbonated. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. It's a completely different kind of experience than what most Americans are used to. Although now, you know, we're like, there are people who have grown up completely with craft beer as yeah. like craft beer has always been there, which is bizarre to me because if you asked me when 20 years ago it was, yeah, I would true. tell you it's 1980. Um, not 2000, <laughs> but, um, you know, like I, I grew up where I living in Texas, it was hard for me to even get Sam Adams. And that like, that was the craft beer that know, was available at the time. I didn't even know beer existed the way it did until I started working at Capitol Hill house, which was yeah. definitely like, I don't know, I, right out of high school. Like I shouldn't have known beer existed. So it was fine, but it was just like, <sighs> and, and then, and at that time there was like hundreds and hundreds. So like, you know, right, exactly. Huge marketing gap, if you will, in there. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. But in, and I think that's been the uh, difficult thing for a lot of people to grasp when it comes to other beer styles. Now it's much more, you know, we're all exposed to a lot of everything, really anything that we need. We all carry computers around in our pockets, but understanding that just because it's different from, and this is just probably a larger message that I don't think most of our listeners probably need to hear, but just because a culture is different from yours does not mean that it's inferior. Yeah. So all that to say, British beer is not warm and flat. If it's a traditional Cascale, like Rachel said, it will be served around like 45, 55 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's not going to have as much carbonation in it because it's, it's a, it's real ale. And a lot, I do want to also address the different terms that people will hear because firkin is a term that people hear mm-hmm. a lot, especially in marketing. Like we say, Caspier is more of a thing, especially in certain cities. So a lot of places have firkin Fridays or cast Saturday. So the thing to remember is that- <laughs> Are you saying cast Saturday because you guys have cast Saturdays? No, I, no, no. I saw that somewhere really. <laughs> okay. I think I, I think I did it. I think I did it once. Uh, because like Friday was kind of dying out, but then well, we haven't done casting so long anyways. But what I'm trying to say is when you hear Firkin this, cast that, or even like the word pin, it's all referring to the same type of beer, cask beer, real ale. But cask is a throw around term. Um, no, it's not. I'm sorry. Cask is referring to the beer, to how it's conditioned, but it can become in different keg sizes so like right. it's the serving vessel the so serving you can vessel. have cask beer but it's beer so that's if you served hear the in a word, cask if you hear the word pin that's re- p-i-n that's referring to a unit of measurement of size that right. the serving vessel is it's about 5.4 gallons i think yep 5.4 if you hear firkin that is just a double that is also unit measurement is double the size of pin it's about 10.8 gallons um we serve pins at the brewery but we market it Firkin Friday because it sounds better. Because it sounds like fucking get it. No, that's not why. <laughs> it just sounds better than Pin Friday. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, we used to, we tried when we opened, we tried to do one every week. It was just getting hard to keep up 
with like at first it was fine because we had so much Oof, beer right and then it was hard to keep up with the quality of the cask I didn't want to like force the beer I wanted it to be naturally right. the way it should be so then we go to once a month and that and it works great people love it people love it like one they either know about it and they come in loving it and wanting it and there's a small amount of those people but people like to try That's it they, they want to but they see it they also we'll get to this too, different serving ways, but the way we serve it, we sit on our bar, like right in front of you. We tap it with a mallet and like right into the side of it. And it's exciting for people. So if they see that, they see it on the bar, they do want to try it. They want to know more about it. It's a great conversation piece. Um, it's a great educational tool. It does kind of suck because you do need to like kind of serve that beer for us, at least the way we're serving it, which is gravity fed. Um, we need to serve it kind of that night or, or it's not very, it's not good anymore. Yeah. It's kind of like having a pet at, like at work that night. Like you just have something you constantly have to care for and be aware of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there, there is the draw side of that. Um, different serving methods can kind of preserve the pen or cask or firkin longer than a night. And there, you know, that's, there's all sorts of different things you can do, but for us here at Pilot, we are simple and the way we do it is very cost effective, uh, requires little equipment, requires little uh, less amount of knowledge if you're working behind the bar, how to pour it, serve it, tap it. Um, it's visually fun. Yes, but I have to confess that I have never tapped a cask. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. No, you know, I, I like, had the offer for you if you want to come up here and tap it. Okay, because I will tell you, this kind of goes back to the conversation we were having with Danny in our um, STEM episode about her teaching women how to clean the draft lines. Yeah. So I did have the opportunity to do it at Pilot, and I was too scared that I was going to mess it up. So no. I just didn't do it. Uh, so yeah, I need like a safe space to try to do it because I am... You can still come up here and do whatever you want. I know it's so okay. far. I will... I will um, yeah, I just need to be given the opportunity to mess up and learn that it's not the end of the world. Um, and also that I won't hit my fingers. But I've never... <laughs> so I, I had the opportunity at Pilot and I declined to take it because I had never done it before and did not want to look silly. That's lame for everybody that's listening. I know, just I so know. You know. Just learn from her. Just, yeah, just, but just go for it. People love, if you ever get the chance to tap one, just go tap it. Cause it's fun. Like I, at Oktoberfest at the Bojangles stadium, mm -hmm. we took a cask or a pin and the first person who came up, who asked what it was, it was this lady. And I was like, you're the first person you want to tap it. And she was like, Oh, really? I was like, yeah. And I like set her up. She tapped it too. It gets scary. Cause you, you do, you have to commit when you start tapping, you're creating a seal, right. this pressurized vessel. You need to get that thing all the way in there. So it doesn't um go all the place and that that can be intimidating for sure but but it's, yeah it's easy. it's easy good that's good to know um before <laughs> we forget i will say because i know uh i think we're getting close to close to time but yeah it's okay uh, we so can i definitely don't want to forget if you are listening and you want to learn more about cask beer go to youtube and search for Steve Hamburg. That's H-A-M-B-U-R-G. He has, it's about an hour and a half long video of him teaching a class on cask beer and just kind of like soup to nuts with it um, and how, how to do it, how to tap a cask, all of the things that Rachel kind of outlined at the beginning 
it is the gold standard for learning about cask ale and um, just cask service. And I've had a couple of different masters this room say like, yes, this is the video to watch to learn yeah. about it. So It'll Steve Hamburg on YouTube, watch that video. And that will give you such a good idea of what we're talking about today. Yeah. It's also important to like, if you do want to go down this road to cast beards, like to know what styles work best with them. You yes. Don't, you don't like, now I've done weird things, but normally you don't want to do a cask of a Belgian triple. I've done right. that actually. It wasn't that bad, but the, the idea is like, this are sessionable English beers. Um, obviously in America, you can do whatever you want. We've done IPAs where we dry hop them. We put fruit in them. We've done stouts with vanilla. I mean, I, it's funny because I actually don't get that crazy with my brewing and do stupid stuff, but I'll do more weird things in a cast than I will. And um, if you just, you can just have so much fun in different flavors and you can do lagers. There's mostly ales, but they're, it's just important to know, like, if you're doing this, especially if you're doing it on a homebrew scale, like it's a, it's a lot of beer to, that you would want to drink and in, in a short amount of time as well. So Speak for yourself. <laughs> So have some friends over. Um, I want to jump on camera real quick because this is a term that, you know, if you start, if you Google anything about Casper, you'll see camera come up and that's C-A-M-R-A. It's an acronym. It's not the camera. Like you take pictures. Yeah, with. it's not camera. It's the, um... it's the campaign for real ale. Yes. So prior to the 1970s, I believe, or, or around yep. the 1970s is there are a lot of American draft systems being set up in America, European pr beer producers, English beer producers like Heineken and Carlsberg started to send, make these pressurized kegs and send them to America. And, um, you know, bars in the UK kind of picked up on these draft systems and how much easier they were to work, uh, lab less labor intensive, uh, more consistent product. With draft beer, we're talking draft beer versus right, and this uh, is also yeah. like Mac. This is the heyday of macro yeah. beer, so yes. everything was yes. is yellow and fizzy, and yeah, not like it's which losing. everything still is, but yeah, there's a little sure. bit more options. But yeah, this was there was an everything idea, else was on the point of extinction. Yeah, there was an idea of like passion loss, and right. this is where camera kind of comes from this was a campaign started by gosh i don't remember the guy's name but started by a guy in the, in the 70s who was campaigning for to continue to you know buy our real ale because like fullers and youngs especially were not they didn't have the equipment to make keg beer when everyone else was so they only had cask beer and they needed to sell their cask beer and this kind of stemmed for that from that it um, was, it's one of the, um, we'll just call him Disco Stew, but it is one of the most successful consumer awareness campaigns ever, ever done anywhere because it was customers saying, no, we don't want this. We, we're yeah. trying to preserve this. And one thing I will say quickly, I I've been reading about uh, cheese and I've been reading the book Mastering Cheese and I want to say camera started around maybe 1972, 1973, yeah. but the same thing. And I, I mean, we can think about, you know, in the 1950s, like everybody started using like canned everything yeah. and artificially sweetened and artificially colored and, everything. And the TV was available for mass marketing. Right. Well, for mass right. production, mass marketing. 
Right. So the mass production that was happening in the cheese world as well. And there was a gentleman again in the UK who saw this happening to cheese and then saw what camera had done and started a campaign for real cheese <laughs> based it. on camera. And that, and again, it's the same thing. Like yeah. that, that's why there's artisanal cheese still. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, grew out of them saying like, yeah, we want real beer. We yeah. want real cheese. We want this artisan product. We don't want yellow and fizzy and yeah. cellophane wrap slices of cheese. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. It's, you're right like you look at history and most things and beer especially like beer just the white bread like all of that Mm -hmm. has such a similar upbringing just like you know people how do we spend like obviously people are spending more time at their homes too there were no like there were still pubs but like that wasn't the only place to go relax and socialize anymore so how do we get these things to people in their home make it easier Oh, put it in a can. Just put the word beer on it. Doesn't even matter. Nothing else matters. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, I actually am a member of camera. So camera is still going strong today and it is very, a very big organization and they're very active. I get lots of emails. I get a monthly newsletter that is usually a month late because it's coming from the UK, (laughs) but it's, it's still going strong and it, you know, now it's more of an enthusiast group, but it very much started as a consumer awareness yeah. and very, very su- successful campaign. So anytime, this is one of those things that I will tell anybody always is if you are in a bar, if you're in a brewery and you see a cask, get, get it. Mm-hmm. And it's because it is a completely different experience. A lot of times if it's a good beer bar, they will have something traditional on. I can say one of the top five beers I've ever had in my life, and it will continue to be a top five beer, is I was in on a work trip in DC and went to Church Key. So if you're ever Mm -hmm. in DC, go to Church Key, go to Church Key. If you have to cancel other things so you can go do it. Um, It is an amazing beer bar, but they usually have casks on and they had a cask of Coniston's Bluebird Bitter. Oh yeah. Which is is a a very traditional. Yeah. And it was, it was the actual Coniston Bluebird Bitter. It was on cask. It was served the way it was supposed to be. And it was life-changing, but they, you, that's one of those moments where having that beer, like in the proper glassware, but having that on cask the way it was supposed to be like you take a drink and you were like holy shit this is what real ale is if you see a beer offered on cask somewhere get it yeah for the experience just to understand what what that is yeah and uh we haven't gotten quite there yet and i know we're kind of running out of time but no it's okay um, i did want to touch on the serving methods, like Rachel was saying, they typically do straight from the bar. So gravity fed. You can also have beer engines, which is where, you know, you'll see people like really pumping the those big, the those big handles that sit yes. straight up. Sometimes they might be on the bar, like closer side to you, not like connected to the wall. If you see that, that's a beer engine tap handle. So you might not see the cast sitting on the bar and right. they, they can still have cast beer. Without with a beer engine, with so. the beer engine, one of the things that, well, I guess a couple of things with that, they are typically will be used with a swan neck spout. 
So a swan neck is exactly what it it sounds like. It looks like a swan's neck. This is the one of the only times when it is appropriate for a bartender to be putting the spout of the beer in contact with the glass. Because with a swan neck and a beer engine, they're actually filling the glass from the bottom up. So they will submerge the, the swan neck spout into very close to about an inch or so from the bottom of the glass and then pump. And as they're pumping with that big handle, like Rachel said, that, you know, they're, they're pulling that spout out of the beer. And of course they're wiping it down with, uh, it should be a microfiber towel between each pour. Um, but that is, that is the only time that I will be okay with somebody serving you beer, yeah. uh, where the spout is in contact with it. Uh, yeah, the we'll other thing to tell you to yell at them, but don't yell at them this time. Right. The <laughs> other thing, uh, that I wanted to touch on too, is the use of a sparkler. Yeah. And just because, so a, a sparkler is going to be attached to the bottom of the spout and the purpose of it is when, as you're pulling the beer out, so it doesn't have very much carbonation, the sparkler is going to disperse the beer throughout the glass and kind of make it a little bit more carbonated. And why I bring that up is because if you really want to toy with friends, so, okay, here's what you need. First, you need two friends who are beer drinkers from the UK <laughs> you can pit them against each other by saying, hey, should Casper be served with a sparkler? <laughs> and depending on where they're from, they're either going to both agree, both disagree, yeah. or both very, very much have very different opinions <laughs> on it. So I forget which area it is, but it's, it's kind of a north versus south. So I believe it's the people from the southern part it's of the, the UK. Yorkshire sparkler, I think. I know. Yeah, the, I know. but the people from like the southern part of the UK view using a sparkler very, very different from people on the northern part. And they will fight about it um, in a way that you would not expect a friendly conversation to escalate as quickly as it does. And I say that because I've had that happen to me where it turns into <laughs> like, you northerners are all, are all cheap you just want the glass filled to the top and that's not the proper way and it's like you southerners just care about appearances and you want the like the head so it's opposite so it's opposite okay the southerner wants the um nothing they want to fill it all they want to fill to the top they don't want any effect (laughs) on taste or mouthfeel the yorkshire so the sparkler like said will break out the beer will release the co2 so it looks like it has a little bit better of a head but it will actually uh, taste a little bit less carbonated. Right. So those are the two different. So that is your <laughs> textbook answer on sparkler if you're taking advanced Cicerone, which not going to lie, I didn't even know what a sparkler was until I started studying for advanced Cicerone. So yeah, one that's of the lesser known pe- facts about we, we have a sparkler because when we are filling as homebrewers, when we're transferring from our kettle to our carboy, we put a sparkler in. So that way, as the beer is coming out uh-huh. into the carboy, it's oxygenating a little bit and yeah. picking up some oxygen. Um, but yes, that has happened to me. And then actually a third gentleman who is also from the UK, somehow I ended up in a conversation with three people from the UK, but a third person also joined the fight. And it it was like, I think I was, we were planning to go to the UK on vacation and I was asking them for 
their opinions on where exactly we should go and somehow that turned into a just a fucking fight over I bet you would never you would probably <laughs> never find a pub over there that has both it is probably one way or the other and it is oh yeah definitely hardcore that one way or the yes other. <laughs> no exactly and it, i was just kind of like okay we're all friends here yeah um, and there are no sparklers here so we everybody's well, safe yeah i just hit it in with a tap you just get that it's kind of a little bit of both it kind of hits the bottom and sprays out a little bit and yes but yeah if if you would like to to pit englishmen against each other or english people against each other just ask if a cask beer should have a sparkler or not and then um watch in amazement again as it escalates far quicker than you would expect (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, one day we'll get back to cast beer here. Right. But- right. And you probably don't want to be doing things that are encouraging a large exactly. crowds of it's people not like to I can show send up. send it home to go. Right. That's a, yeah, that's, that's another true. Thing. Don't, don't, that's another thing. You there's go no cast beer to go. There's no cast beer to go. Okay. Don't ask for a crowler of cast beer. And you know what? While we're at it, don't ask for a crowler of nitro beer either. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is very much um, an experience based. So beer. If there's one thing that's good that's coming out of keg pressurized beer is you could take it home in a crowler. Yes. <laughs> so, something a camera did not think about. <laughs> right. That wasn't that wasn't a thing. But yeah, yeah again, it's a very experienced based yeah. idea. Um, you you wouldn't want easy. to take cask ale yeah. home because the point that. of cask ale is to sit around a, a pub with friends. True. True. You should not be drinking cask beer alone. Friends don't let friends drink cask beer alone. well on that note uh we will wrap up this we really didn't get like super deep into the specifics but i think that's probably fine as rachel and i alluded to the sellermanship book by patrick o'neill the seventh edition just came out um it comes with a pullout poster so you can't get pregnant and it's a really (laughs) good short read uh so thank you everyone for listening and as always thank you very much for you know reaching out to us we really 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 do love it and when you know one of you sends us something really nice we screenshot it and send it to the other one and it just gives us warm fuzzies for the day it's nice to know that we're not you know yelling into the void about some of this stuff uh so Thank you for listening. Please take a couple of minutes and subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to podcasts. It helps move us up in the the rankings. So it helps more people find out about us, give us a review um, and rate us. As always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for people who share our episodes on social media, you know, when people do that, we almost immediately gain new followers and uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm out there for us. And that just makes us happy because we love to talk about beer. So you can find us on social media at false bottom girls. You can also email us at false bottom girls at gmail.com. I guess that's it for real ale. This has been false bottom girls and we make the brewing world go round.